After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, guys, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly on to you. I haven't skipped a beat using Mint Mobile services. I have a great service even when I'm traveling for over less than 70% of what I was paying before. Listen to Uncle Chael and say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash chael. That's mintmobile.com slash chael. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash chael. $45 upfront payment required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Guys, I'm really into things that add more convenience to my life. It's even better when it also comes with safety in a high-quality package. I'm talking about my Eufy Video Lock. I'm still loving this thing. I love this thing so much that I'd like to invest in the company. I am so impressed with this product that I'm willing to back it. And if anyone out there knows how I can do it, please reach out. You gotta check it out for yourself. I'll probably do a quick social post, but for now, just search UV Video Lock. Do it online. It's a three-in-one smart lock, 2K camera with an audio and doorbell. It's easy to install. It has fingerprint recognition, so I don't even have to remember a code. I can control it all in an app, which again, the convenience is such a big plus for me. We are always on the go, and being able to monitor our home on the road is such a nice option. Not only that, I don't have to rush to the door if the doorbell rings. I can either open the door or ignore whoever's at the door by vetting them through the app. There is no monthly fees for security video storage. The battery is rechargeable, and each charge lasts about four months. This Eufy Lock is fantastic, and I highly recommend it. Search Eufy Video Lock online. That's Eufy, E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com backslash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your front door. What's happening, guys? Happy Wednesday. And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. It was a massive weekend in the world of mixed martial arts. And on today's show, I'm going to talk all about the biggest stories coming out of UFC 260. And 
We've even got some big boxing news to talk about for today's show, so stick around for that. But first, let's begin with Saturday's main event and thoughts I had immediately following the fight. Guys, deja vu, all right? Stipe versus Francis. They went out, they fight. Francis gets the win. And by the way, Francis looked great doing this. I mean, didn't he look very calm out there? Didn't he look very composed? A couple of things that Francis had to do. The house is on fire. He's in there with the best ever. It's his second shot at a world championship. He has to stay calm. Francis has to stop the takedown. Francis has to make sure that his gas tank can carry him into more than just the first rounds. Set that aside. We understand what happened. Isn't this very reminiscent of the night that Daniel Cormier knocked out Stipe? And we tried to usher Stipe out the back. We tried to bring in the next challenger. And we never once heard from Stipe. We never wanted to know how he was doing. How is he feeling? What did he feel in the fight? And what does he want to do next? Stipe stood his ground. He dug in. He refused to fight anybody. Interview, interview he did. He said, Daniel, Daniel's next. That's the end of it. He finally got it. Oh, and by the way, Stipe was right. Stipe was telling the truth. Stipe learned enough in that two minutes and 48 seconds with DC the first time where everybody thought he got knocked down and carried out on a stretcher and that was just going to be the end of Stipe to not only get his title back, but then to stop Daniel. Stipe returns the favor yet a third time. Says, hey, we've already done it once uh, for each other. Let's go do it a third time. What a sportsman. And what a lesson that we learned from Stipe. And what a promise we all made that we would never do it again. We would never dust sweep Stipe under the rug. We would never disrespect him the way we did. But as I sit to you right now, with the fight only moments behind me, Stipe is out of the equation. Francis Sangano is going to fight in John Jones. I will fully admit this is above board. I will fully admit for you, we knew that John was going up, and it has been said from Jump Street that John will qualify to take on whoever the winner of that fight is. Whether it's the big, massive Francis, whether it's a little more suitable size-wise, Stipe, I admit everything was above board, but now that we are in this spot, can we at least admit that we're doing again what we promised we would never revisit? which is to push Sweepe out. I heard a commentary tonight getting co-signed by one guy after another saying Stipe not only needs a break, he needs a long break. Who the hell are you to say? How would you possibly know he needs a break? How would you know he needs a long break? And what does that mean? By the way, what does that mean? Stipe put a year in between the fight with Daniel Cormier. John Jones has been sitting out of the ring 14, 15 months now. I've lost track. What is a long break? Because the commission says he needs 90 days. Oh, by the way, before you think I'm turning on the commentators that said it one after the next, they could be right. That isn't my message. My message is, isn't this deja vu? Isn't this what we already did to the guy that we tried to correct by giving him the title shots, that we tried to correct by calling him the greatest heavyweight to have ever done it? And we promised we wouldn't do it to him, but here we are doing it to him. And as we do look ahead, and I must tell you, I don't know what the bigger story coming out tonight was. I don't know if I'm more correct to bring to you guys and say the biggest story coming out of tonight was that Francis Ngannou, one of the truly greatest success stories I have ever heard, and I've heard fictional stories. I've heard stories that are made up and turned into movies. This is still amongst the greatest stories I've ever heard. 
Is him becoming champion the story of the night, or is a potential matchup with now champion Francis versus John Jones the story of the night? And you see where we have to catch ourselves. You see where we have to bite our tongue. You see where we we know that we need to ask Stipe, how are you, how are you feeling, what do you want to do? And by the way, if anybody should work with Stipe in this situation, it's Francis. Stipe not only got up in the loft and left the ladder down behind him so Francis could climb up once, he did it twice. If Stipe needs some help here, if he needs a favor getting this done, not only should he have us supporting him, he should have Francis supporting him. And when we go to the press conference and John Jones already tweeted out, show me the money. Show me the money means I don't want to fight. Period. Hard stop. I'm not declaring for you that John won't go fight anyway. John Jones is not a coward. John saying show me the means I don't want to fight, but I will. You call my bluff, I'll call your bluff, but if we, if we one of us can't blink and back down, I will walk out there and do it. Now, does that mean that John can't beat him just because he's, he's scared and doesn't want to do it? No. No, I don't think it does. You would have to wonder why. What about that, John Jones? What about that you saw tonight was problematic for you, and if I were to guess, it was the stuffing of the takedown? Now, if I was to be critical to Stipe Miocic, and there was only one thing I could be critical about, it was that takedown. Everything was done wrong. Stipe got to a single. He needed to go down and to the right. Instead, he went up and to the left. And I have the foggiest idea why. Not only is that inappropriate wrestling, particularly for the level that Stipe knows, it's not what your body wants to do. Your body naturally would want to go away. It would naturally want to go down. Stipe had to fight. Natural reaction. He had to fight all the lessons he's ever learned in wrestling to go up and to the left. He was trying to lift him off the ground instead of dumping him to the right. I bring that to you never to kick Stipe while he's down. I bring that to you because if John Jones saw that moment and knew right then if that were me, this fight would be vastly different, John is correct to think so. John would have gone down and to the left, and John would have finished that shot. We might have been surprised to find Stipe could scramble up. We don't know where the fight would go from there, but that was a very crowning and very clear moment. And it was also something when you're watching Stipe versus Francis and vice versa, but based on who wins, you immediately juxtapose that performance against that of what you would amass and surmise John Jones would do. John Jones would have gotten to that leg and he would have finished. I bring that to you because the mere fact that Stipe did not, might have been a clue for John. He might have gone, man, I got problems here. Not to mention Francis was meaningfully better in this contest than he was in the last. I understand the last was three years ago, but if you understand how raw Francis Ngannou was, Francis Ngannou is the most unsophisticated number one contender we have seen in the modern era. I will not call him an unsophisticated champion because of what I saw tonight. I saw a tremendous sophistication, both with his left and right hand, both with his ability to throw leg kicks, with his speed, with his ability to get out of the first round, with his ability to recompose himself after that big wrestling scramble. He was able to settle down and recompose. That's something we never knew he could do. It's something he never has done. It's also something he's never been faced with needing to do, aside from the loss that he had to Stipe. It was a major correction. Even if he had three years to do it, it was a major correction. 
Because a compliment that I would have to pay John Jones is every time John fights, there is one common denominator, which is John's better. If you go and study John Jones' tape and think you know what you're going to get into, the only thing you're going to surmise is between these fights, John makes gains. So if we're now seeing that Francis can make gains, it just starts to make things a lot more interesting, doesn't it? And all I'm attempting to say for you is that's an interesting fight. John Jones is now at the table. But he's at the table with the greatest player in all of Las Vegas, who is Dana White. And John Jones will very quickly maneuver himself out of this fight. Guys have done it from the beginning of the time when they don't want to fight somebody. Saying, show me the money. What, what, what is that? Excuse me. Hold that thought. Because nobody. That, this isn't the error. That's just not what people want to see right now. This whole give me the money fight and all this business, that's not where we are right now. And John Jones versus Francis is a very good night of business. Very good night of business. Derek Lewis versus Francis is a very good night of business. And Stipe in a trilogy rubber match with Francis is a very good night of business. So if John in any way makes believe that that's the fight that people want to see more than any other fight, or they're going to be more compelled to come and watch this, well, I'm just sharing with you. He's going to maneuver himself out, but it's not going to be on accident. This is the accidental text on purpose, right? He's going to pretend that he accidentally maneuvered himself and that doggone Dana White just didn't want to pay me. Oh man, I can't believe it. He's going to play that, sure. That's not what this is about. And none of us can let it be about that. This has to be about strict, fierce competition, legacy, world championship. Who wants this fight more? That's who should get the fight. And that might be John Jones, but that also might be Stipe, and that might be Derek Lewis, and they all need to speak up right now because people are not going to listen if John starts trying to pull a, a cash machine because it's not Dana White that's paying him. It's us. It's the fans. It's you guys. So you get to choose. And I understand that that's a very intelligent option. I'm just reminding that there's two others. Derek Lewis has a say in this matter. Derek Lewis is the last guy to beat Engano, not Stipe, just to remind you. Just take that into a level of consideration. Let's see where this all goes. But it's very important that we understand this isn't about a cash grab and this isn't about a ratings play. This is about fierce competition because it makes me think of George Masvidal versus Kamara Usman, which is another story that's getting mistold for it being a ratings play. Excuse me, no it's not. Usman doesn't have a damn thing that Masvidal needs. Oh, wait a minute, yes he does. The world championship. Masvidal doesn't have a damn thing that Usman needs. Oh, wait a minute, yes he does. Fame. The most famous guy and the best guy aren't the same guy. Just the way it is right now. But when they come together, all the chips are in. And do not make any mistake and don't let anybody tell you this is about ratings or this is about money. Masvidal has worked his entire life to be a world champion. This is his opportunity. Usman has worked his entire life to have the respect of you and his peers. And this is his opportunity. All the chips are in. If it's a big night of business, so what? This is about competition. Okay, so that was the fallout from Saturday's main event. And now I want to transition to the co-main and where we go from here. Tyron Woodley. This is a very tough moment to know what to say. 
And I go back with Tyron. We used to train together. I, for a period of time, was a guy that Tyron would listen to. And whether I'm no longer that guy or viewed in that way, or he's just not listening to me, I don't know which one it is. I just know we're not there. I know every time I talk to Tyron, and then I see Tyron, we're not doing it. I have very different interpretations of the way T. Wood has been fighting. In that, I think he looks awesome. I thought he looked incredible against Burns. I thought he fought his ass off against Usman the night we found out that Usman's just that damn good. He never gave up on himself. What about the Burns fight where he gets knocked down, gets full mounted 28 seconds in, goes another 24 and a half minutes. Colby Covington overwhelmed him and broke his rib. What do you want to do? T. Wood never gave up in any of those battles. He did get a reminder in both the Gilbert Burns, the Usman, and the Colby fight, which was... Hey, this top position in this wrestling, it still works. The reason I bring that to you is it's something that Tiwa got away from. And when we're just talking about the X's and O's, he fell in love with some of those blitzes. He fell in love with some of those sprints, and those sprints took him to a world championship. So a little bit unfair that we would look back and question why he stopped doing what won him a world championship. But I will tell you before that championship, and he was trying to get in the organization, he was wrestling. Damn good. Damn good wrestler. Matches with Johnny Hendricks. You can go look this stuff on YouTube. I mean, T-Wood could beat anybody in the country on the right day, and there was nobody that could whip him. Even the guys that beat him, nobody whipped him. I mean, very good competitor in wrestling if you want to go back and see some of this stuff because it's something that he got away from. And as effective as wrestling can be, and as effective as T-Wood's wrestling is, Without the threat of wrestling, you might as well have never put on a singlet. You might as well have never put on your headgear, walked out there, slapped hands, and let a guy in a striped shirt blow a whistle and score your match. The threat of the takedown is what opens up the hands of these wrestlers turned boxers, turned kickboxers. The Uriah Fabers and the Dan Hendersons of the world who always faked the takedown before they struck. Josh Koscheck comes to mind, Johnny Hendricks, and Tyron Woodley until as of late. Tyron's been very clear. Now we're striking, now we're, we're grappling. Now, I can't be happy. I can't talk to you and be happy in this situation because my guy got beat. So I'm going to have sour grapes. I'll admit to my sour grapes. I don't know if we're done seeing Ty Tyron Woodley. If I knew that was it, I would have a very different tone. And I would speak a lot more sincerely. I would say things like, thank you. Thank you for the memories. Thank you for this ride. Thank you for this run. Thank you for always showing up. Thank you for fighting the tough guys and the right guys. But I'm not convinced we have seen the last of Tyron Woodley. And I had a text message. Now, this is silly. It's speculative. But I'm in the moment. And you're never thinking all that clear right after a fight. Right, guy? You can agree with me. We're all a little bit drunk on the excitement. We're all going to feel a little bit of a hangover of a letdown when a big card like this and it goes away. Right? I understand that. And I'm in that moment. But I had a text message from not the world's worst source telling me that Tyron Woodley is going to be considered for the first boxing opponent against Oscar De La Hoya. I don't know how big I am on this idea or if I'm going to regret that I even brought this and mentioned it to you guys. I'm just sharing with you that I am not convinced Tyron Woodley's done competing. 
So I'm not quite ready to hang my hat on the thank you for the memories T-Wood. I'm a little bit more of the mind right now of let's see what's next. We do understand it's not going to be in the octagon. We just heard how that contract came about. We heard that the last fight was fought. But until I hear from Tyron that he's done, I'm not ready to tell you guys he's retired. Another one of the big stories emerging from Saturday was Sugar Sean. I was on TV with Michael Bisping right after the fight, and he had some very tough love to give Sean O'Malley. And Michael put this in no uncertain terms. And Michael Bisping, who's a world champion, who's in the Hall of Fame, has the right to his opinion. He was just saying for Sugar Sean, when Sugar had that knockdown and tried to look at his work, tried to look cool, if you will, that that was an immaturity. And Michael is right. Sean needs to not do that again. You need to be very careful. And I realize that that's a hard situation to win. You put a guy down. Why are you following up? Uh, you know, didn't you know he was done? I get that we often second guess this, but that wasn't Michael Bisping's point. And it was very clear that he was just saying, Sean, you're a young guy. Make sure that you don't fall in love with your punches. Make sure that you stay out there, that you stay alert, and that you follow up. Because Almeida, not for nothing, but boy, he got up and put one hell of a fight together. Do you guys know where the rule, protect yourself at all times, comes from? I know that you've heard it, and I know that it's redundant, but I don't know if anybody's ever explained it for you. In 1992, Barcelona Olympics, as a matter of fact, it was the year that Oscar de la Hoya won the gold for the country. But the way the boxing would work is there's three rings all set up on the floor because it's a tournament. So it's not what you would picture for like a, a fight card that you watch in the pros. It's not like that. This is a tournament. It's a bracket, multiple weight classes. They're running these things through. Whoever wins the gold medal in boxing has to put four wins together. I bring that to you because it's why there was three rings set up and it's why they're running so fast. And one guy was boxing. Another ring, the horn blew. The guy in the adjacent ring dropped his hands and boom, the Cuban knocked him out cold. He heard a bell, so he stopped to be a sportsman. It was the wrong bell. And from that day forward is where the clause and the term extent expression, protect yourself at all times. That's where that comes from. So if you ever do see a fighter going late, or you ever do see a fighter doing something that looks unsportsmanlike, if the referee has not stepped in, we are told that as fighters, you do not react to the horn. The referee will react to the horn, and you react to the referee. I just want to give a refresher course as to where when you hear somebody like Michael Bisping, or even me co-signing the statement for Sean O'Malley, to stay in the moment, don't walk away, don't call your own fights, don't be, remember how Mark Hunt, Mark Hunt used to throw that hook and he'd turn and walk away. And it was like the coolest looking thing ever. You wish that you could be as cool as Mark Hunt was in that moment. Don't do that. Don't do the Mark Hunt stand your opponent. Coming up in a moment, I'll say more about the UFC bantamweights as well as discussing Anderson Silva's entrance into the boxing world and some amazing theater that I saw between Jake Paul and Ben Askren. But first a word from one of the show's favorite sponsors. Today's episode of Your Welcome is brought to you 
by Athletic Greens, the most comprehensive, tasty, daily nutritional beverage I have ever had. Spring has sprung, and there's nothing more important than keeping our bodies healthy as we transition from the colder months into the warmer ones. I have lots to juggle between my family and business, visiting with you guys, taking my son to practice, catching up on the podcast, and nonstop coverage in the world of combat sports. And sometimes it's hard to practice daily nutritional habits between it all. There is a way, and Athletic Greens is the key for me. It's a daily, all-in-one superfood powder. One scoop contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food-sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, a multi-mineral, probiotic, greens, superfood blend, and more. They all work together to fill the nutritional gaps in our diet, increase energy and focus, help with digestion, and support a healthy immune system, all without the need to take multiple products. What a relief. Athletic Greens is my one stop for all of it. It's simple, it's easy. For you athletes out there, this product is NSF certified for sport. It's lifestyle friendly, whether you like to eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, and it contains less than one gram of sugar without compromising on taste. Athletic Greens is offering my audience a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five travel packs with your first purchase if you visit my link today. So whether you or a family member are looking for peak performance or better health, covering your bases with Athletic Greens makes investing in your energy, immunity, and gut health each day simple, tasty, and efficient. Simply visit athleticgreens.com slash chael and join athletes and health-conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to optimal health every day. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash chael and get your free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today. One hundred and thirty-five pounds has never been as fun as it is right now. I mean, Aljo's finally having some fun with Peter Yan. Finally, saying things like, "I don't know if I'm going to give him the rematch. Why? Why does he deserve a title fight? He just fouled me. He cheated. He was disqualified. I was waiting for that. I wanted to see that on the first day, on the very first day. And I also have the same question. And I have a prediction for you that we're talking about nothing." and that those two are going to be matched up with each other next. I'm only sharing for you that it's a little bit of a surprise for me in that there has never been a fighter disqualified in the history of Nevada who didn't have his license held up because of it. Where there was some kind of a hearing, they'll hear him out. They'll come to the conclusion that it was unintentional, that he's already been punished. I'm just sharing for you that those things happen. Those things take time. They're talking about doing an immediate rematch. Nevada hadn't said boo, won't even answer their phone to give a level of clarity on it. There's really nothing too clear. I get how we got here. I'm speaking about for Aljo to guess ahead of time and see that historically, if a fighter is disqualified, he has licensing issues until he can work through them. Then you have Dillashaw, who's returned, who drew into Sandhagen, 
Henry Cejudo announced that he's coming back, but then went totally silent, so perhaps that was just for fun. We don't know. You have Dominic Cruz resurrecting himself and reminding everybody what a hard night out he is, and then you have Sean O'Malley. I mean, 135 pounds. Oh, by the way, did I make Frankie Edgar's down there? Jose Aldo's down there? I mean, did, did I mention? 135 pounds has never been so loaded and so interesting and so many different stories. So many different directions you can go with storylines. This Sean O'Malley-Dominant Cruz talk, that, that's an interesting match. Sean O'Malley had a fight over the weekend. Threw a punch, opponent went down, Sean turned and walked away. Announcers came out, me being one of them, and commented on the fact that that was an immaturity and he should have stayed in the moment. Sean came out, whether he's rewriting this or not, and said, whoa, you're misinterpreting. Of course I could have got a TKO. Of course I should have swarmed him. I didn't want a TKO. I didn't want to swarm him. I wasn't immature in that moment. I didn't lose sight of where I was. You interpreted it wrong from the beginning. I wanted a highlight real knockout, which is why I wanted him back on his feet. Look, is Sean rewriting that? Yeah, I think probably. Does it matter? No. Is it a great story? Yes. Is it compelling in a way that Sean is staying in the headlines even after he's fought? Yeah. Which is the most important thing and the hardest thing you will ever do in this sport. Very hard to even get an athlete to understand the news cycle. Very hard to get an athlete to understand you have 48 hours after your fight when this is still going, before it transitions and the wind blows in another direction and you're completely forgot about until you sign your next bout agreement. Sean not only understood, he manipulated, and here we are, days later, still talking O'Malley. I don't think he had anything against the TKO. I don't think he let that guy up. Who cares? Sean gave me somewhere to go. When you're talking to the audience, pretend that they're fools who know nothing and tell them what to think. I mean, right, if I'm a fight fan of Sean O'Malley and I go, re I want him to tell very clear direction. Here's the angle we're going. Think this, say that I, and Sean did it. He does it every single time. So I think as you start looking around at 35, right? And Aljo yawned, by the way, it was an accidental knee, by the way, to give him an opportunity for a rematch is, is just the right thing to do. I'm speaking to having fun with this in the meanwhile. I'm speaking to Aljo, who was fouled, and now have people questioning his rightful seat at the throne. I'm talking about for Aljo to have a little fun and stick out a ball of their ass. That's, that, that's where that commentary is coming from. But even if we were to make believe that that was the way it, it, it is and Aljo is going to fight someone else, there's no one left. Unless Cejudo is truly coming back, there's no one left because Sandhagen is now signed to take on Dillashaw. Because Dominic Cruz has not said this is specifically what I want, which is another title fight. Because those things just haven't happened, by default, if nothing else, yeah, I got it. We're Jan and Aljo. We're going to do it again. Now I want to transition from MMA to the world of boxing, beginning with the big news of the day. All right, guys, help me out here. Help me out with the details that you have. Leave me a comment. I assure you that I read them. But I woke up today and Anderson Silva has signed 
to fight Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. in a boxing match, and they're going to do it in Mexico. I don't have any other details. I don't know if I don't know if that's open stadium. I don't know the relevance to Mexico, and I also don't know what organization. Organization matters because then I can figure out how to watch it. Is this something that pops up on pay-per-view? Is this going to be online only? What is it What we need to do? I don't know the date of the match either, but I must tell you, there's a couple of things that are really cool about that. I mean, the mere fact that Anderson wants to go on, has always wanted to box, is now getting the chance to go on, Owen is going to go box, and then signed up for a great boxer. I mean, right, there's a Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. amongst boxing fans has been booed out of the arena before. But we can all also recognize he's a boxer. He had no choice. He didn't know anything but boxing. His old man was a boxer. He raised him in this from day one. Anderson's just going to walk over there and, and get in, into it with him? I mean, first off, good Anderson, respect. That's a hard, That's got to be a hard way to get a debut into boxing. But I, you also have to look at it and go, how did we get here? What state is boxing in? And I get very inclined to tease boxing, to tease them that they've got to do a Mike Tyson, to tease them that they've got to do a De La Hoya. The same time, I'm watching what Mike Tyson does. I'm looking forward to hear who De La Hoya is going to do it with. So as much as I come out and my first inclination is to be negative and be a hater about it, I think the a little bit more realistic is maybe I like this spot. I do get a feeling when Mike comes out. I would get the same feeling if Evander came out. And they were talking about Buster Douglas at some point. I've completely lost touch with Peter McNeely. But, I mean, there were some names that you could bring me. I want to see the rules adjusted. I like the eight rounds at two minutes apiece with 60 seconds. I mean, there's things that I like and want to see, but what is the state of boxing? Am I that star for boxing? And if I am, and the answer appears to be yes, I don't think that's on me. That's got to be on the leadership of boxing, that they haven't brought me anything better. I don't have a better choice or suggestion right now than to watch Oscar De La Hoya's fight coming up. I don't have a better substitute to fill in for Mike Tyson's next return. That's boxing and boxing's leadership. I want to see Anderson box this guy. And I don't love the idea of guys plus 40 or the backsides of their MMA career. I just, I don't love that idea. I watched and supported Pat Miletic's last fight, but after I watched the fight, okay, but we're done here, right? Nobody that was involved here thinks that was good or that that should be seen or done again. Yeah, they do. They couldn't, they couldn't quite see it all the way with me. So it's just, it's one of these things where this is a mess. How did we get here? Is there a strategy putting in place now to get us out of this? And the one thing that you do have that's problematic when you have the old dogs come back, because there's something very nostalgic about these veterans that return. I get it, and so do you. But we have a problem because they are not and do not pretend to be contenders. So if they're taking main event and co-main event spots in matches that do draw, are entertaining, but do not have anything to do with a competitive architecture, you can just see where that is not sustainable. That could be fun tonight. 
So if you want to do a one-off, you're a one-off promoter, you want to have something and attach your name and get a poster and you can show your buddies that you're the one losing the money on this thing, that's a pretty good move for you. But if you want to have a sustainable business that you can come back and do again tomorrow and the next day, making sure that your profits exceed your expenditures, it's not rocket science. That is not sustainable. So where do we go from here? What is this fight for? One thing that Reed Harris explained this to me. I was 28 years old, but I've never forgot when Reed told me it. And he was talking about other promotions. And he was saying the big mistake other promotions make is they put on matches of no consequence. They put on matches that aren't for titles, for qualification of titles. They put on a match to put on a match to fill up a card to get to the main event, which brought everybody in. But if you want to be around, you need to have matches of consequence. Very simple perspective. But that's from one of the few guys who's ever made it in this business. And I think that Reed Harris's principle that he taught me 15 years ago really does apply when you're bringing in some of these older guys to do the boxing. This could be really fun for tonight. But where do we go from here and why are we here? Mike Tyson did a great job in his last fight with Roy Jones to talk about why we're here. Openly said, need to make a few bucks and then openly talked about how good it felt to get back into shape to start living that life right and how much he missed it. Man, that's an easy story to get behind. But it worked one time. Now it's turning to, yeah, I'm still a star boxer. I could bring in a lot of things. I'm going to need to negotiate and get a contract. Whoa, stop, stop, stop. You're changing the narrative. We, the audience, came along this journey for one set of reasons. If you try to change that set of reasons, we're going to change our participation too. Silva's boxing match will be entertaining, of course, but perhaps even more entertaining is what we've got coming up on April 17th. Askren and Paul, is this fight turning out to be a lot bigger than we thought it was going to be? I mean, it certainly is blowing in that direction. And I got to give the promotion a lot of credit to. I mean, they're putting out some great videos. Ben Askren just had one that did 2.3 million views on social media. And it was a parody piece of Askren training Rocky style. Like they took clips from the movie Rocky, redid it with Askren. It was awesome. It was extremely well done. And I think it succeeded at a much further level than anybody had anticipated. I mean, 2.3 million. That, that was as of this morning. Before I came over, 2.3 million on social media for a clip done about a wrestler taking on a YouTuber. Come on. They're doing some stuff right. They had the press conference. Jake Paul looked like a fool. That's not his fault. It's, that's truly not his fault. He's half doing a character and a gimmick up there. And he's also out of his element in that there wasn't a script handed to him. He had to be on his feet. It's just not what he does. It's just not what he does. And he sat up there and tried to hold his own. He tried to be entertaining. Ultimately, he got pie-faced and didn't know how to respond. I saw, I saw a lot made of him getting the pie face. Ashran comes up, puts his palm in his face, pushes him away. Paul didn't know what to do and ultimately pushed Ben in the back and Ben just 
walked away. It was one of these things, but a lot has been made of it. All the way down to Daniel Cormier, who waited on it and said, okay, now I know. I'm all in. Askren's going to whip him. After I saw the pie face, I know how this fight's going to go. I didn't really get that from there. I didn't really think that Paul... Paul was out of his element, and he was trying, which, by the way, is his entire boxing career, which, by the way, is a very cool thing. It's a very cool thing. The guy is taking a risk, and he's showing a level of courage. I don't know how him getting pie-faced by Ben Askren means Ben's going to whip him. I don't know what I'm possibly missing in that. I do believe Ben is going to whip him because Ben is going out there to compete. Paul's coming to box. This is a competition. It's not a boxing match. I think that this is pretty obvious and simple. I'm only sharing for you what fun we're having. We're having a lot of fun in this new boxing era and bringing guys in, right? Bringing guys back in, whether it's Mike Tyson, whether it's uh, De La Hoya. That's how it used to be. And people are acting as though this is a new phenomenon. It's not a new phenomenon. MMA stopped doing it. Hey, we don't want guys over this age. It's one of those things, and society got behind it, backed it up pretty quick. You're going to start seeing MMA guys able to come back. The question is, can they come back now, or do they have to wait five years? Is there something nostalgic, and you got to put more time between it? I, I don't know the answer to that. I don't even know how much I love it. I'm just observing that it's happening. And a YouTuber versus a wrestler, right? I mean, for now's time, it's very appropriate. It's very in line. It's very on brand with the way boxing's going. And frankly, boxing's got nothing else. What boxing match do you want to see? What real boxing match do you want to see? And I know you have an answer, but you only have one. Now you want to see Fury and Joshua. And that's what boxing gives us. One time a year, you get a fight. In a real lucky year, you'll get two. And it's boxing's failure over time. And the first thing that boxing made a mistake on is they never made it acceptable to lose. Boxing made it unacceptable to lose. If you had six losses in boxing, you're a bum. If you got 10 boxing losses, you could hardly get a license, let alone a promoter that's going to sign you. They never made it acceptable to have losses. So you have a fake competition. With no architecture. You'll have guys out there, heavyweights right now, 30 and 0. You guys haven't heard of them, but you will. They'll bring them into a main event, put that 30 and 0 on a poster. That's all it takes to sell. Boom. Off you go. That's a mistake. That's not a long term play. That's not sustainable. But that is where boxing's at. To wrap today's show, I want to end where we started. And that's the UFC heavyweight picture. I got to ask, is Derek Lewis more deserving of the next title shot against Francis than John Jones? If so, why? Well, I have to tell you this. The fans will decide. Because whenever you start talking about deserving, then what you're, what you're ultimately trying to do is to compare your wins against somebody else's wins. Right, I understand that. And then people want to get real technical and go, but this was over a rank guy, and this was over a rank guy. Stop. The fans will let you know. Does Derek Lewis knocking out Curtis Blades qualify him for a title fight more than John Jones squeaking past Dominic Reyes over a year ago at a different weight class? And if the fans come to the conclusion that it does, then it does. That's the way it works. If the fans go, yeah, it's a different weight class, but that was a world title fight. They went all five rounds and that kind of performance. Yes, that should be more qualified. Right? I mean, you see the problem with that? you see that there's not going to be an impartial bias 
third party that would ever come to that conclusion? How could a guy who's never been in the weight class be more deserving than a guy who's never been out of the weight class? But it doesn't really work that way, and I don't know that there's a wrong answer. If I was to predict for you who will be fighting Francis next, I would predict for you it's going to be Derek Lewis. There's a lot of people that would want to see John Jones fight Engano, but John doesn't have a lot of people that love him. I mean, he's not going to have, I mean, this fan base. I don't mean that. He doesn't have a fan base that's behind him. Derek Lewis does. Derek Lewis can send out one message on social media. John would have to send five out for it to get retweeted, shared, and spread as virally as Derek. Derek has a base. John doesn't have a base. John has a lot of people that have followed him and want to see him get beat. And they're pretty sure Francis is the guy who can do it. So they want to see him, but it's totally different when Derek Lewis has people that are behind him, know his story, know how tough it was, know how much he overcame, seen the successes that he's had, not to mention looking like an everyman, and people get behind Lewis. If I was to predict for you what's going to happen, I think those are very uh, great options. Great options. I would count down the days for those. But the way this works is it gets turned over to the public, and then there's also a private negotiation. John has publicly stated he's going to be a pain in the ass for the private negotiation. Derek Lewis is saying, I already got a contract. I don't need to talk about anything. You let me, you tell me. You tell me what the date is, and off we go. And that's going to get looked at in some regard, particularly when the fans weigh in. And I'm predicting for you the fans are going to blow in the direction of Derek Lewis, who beat Angano most recently. Most recent guy to beat Ngannou is Derek. A lot of people remember that wrong. It seems as though it was Stipe. It wasn't. Stipe beat him. Ooh, drew right in. It was a weird match. I was there live. I mean, it was a very weird and strange match, but I'm sharing with you, there is something very compelling about that style. And if you have John versus Francis, you just have the most colloquial story set dating back to 1993, which is the grappler versus the striker. As we're getting ready for that fight, is 100% of the conversation will be, can John Jones take him down and keep him there or not? That story works. It's fine. This is different, though. This is two bangers. This is two brutes. This is two guys with a tough luck story who have something in each other's past. And ultimately, Francis is going to weigh in. And if Francis has the sense that God gave geese, he's going to weigh and lean in the direction of the fight that he's more confident he can win. I don't know who that is. Beans that he didn't beat Derek Lewis before, Francis might be leaning towards the John Jones direction, but that will be a piece and we'll have to get ready for it. It feels very inappropriate to have this discussion and not bring up Stipe. It feels very weird, particularly if you guys will just look back to two weeks ago, when Adesanya took on Blahovich, and the entire narrative going into that fight and on the backside of that fight was the size. The size discrepancy between Blahovich and Adesanya, which was very real and very noticeable, and it was one-third of what Stipe went up against. It was one-third of the size deficit Stipe faced, but nobody talks about that. I understand why. Because that's the division. That's the heavyweight division. But where's the credit? Where's the respect? You want to talk about Stipe's done? Stipe just went further with Engano than the last four guys did. One of which was Cain Velasquez, by the way. Stipe just put Engano in more danger than any of the last four guys did. One of which was Cain Velasquez, by the way. And he did it all while giving up 30-plus pounds of absolute muscle. That would be referred to and talked about in any other fight. That is a story coming in to Jones moving to heavyweight. 
Jones, who weighs more and will weigh in at a higher weight than Stipe just weighed in. But there was no credit given to Stipe. There was no respect, and there never is, to not only a champion, a genuine hero, a genuine hero, as close as I have lived in my lifetime to a superhero in real life is Stipe. Truly is. You guys would take this deal. You guys are out there. Maybe your parents, right? Genie pops out of a bottle, that old scenario. And he tells you, I'll make a deal with you right now. Make your son Stipe Miocic. You take that. Oh, you'd be so proud. You'd be so proud. But for some reason, we don't look at what he just did with the huge size discrepancy. We don't look at what Stipe just did, making it into the second round. We don't look at what Stipe just did, getting in on a single and almost bringing the big man down. We don't look at what Stipe just did, taking an uppercut to the chin, taking a kick to the side of the dome, and pushing forward for another four minutes. We don't look at that. We Stipe should be done. Excuse me. Excuse me. Take that idea and shove it up your ass. All right, guys, that's it for today's show. Thank you for listening. And head on over to Apple Podcasts to leave a review. Like this person who didn't leave a name but did say, Great podcast, great host, always worth a listen. Thank you for the kind words. I appreciate it. And I will be back on Friday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. <laughs>